Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 13 of the Nathan Wolfel Outdoors podcast. I am Nathan Wolfel of NathanWolfelOutdoors.com. Thank you very much for joining me today. I sincerely appreciate it. A few housekeeping items before we get going with the show. If you want to keep up to date on the latest articles and news from my outdoor adventures, be sure to check out NathanWolfelOutdoors.com frequently for fresh content or follow on Facebook at NathanWolfelOutdoors. Or find me on Instagram at ndubs41. That's at ndubs41 on Instagram. If you have a topic you'd like to hear discussed, you have questions you want covered, articles you'd like written, overall feedback on the site or the show, be sure to reach out via email at natewolfel at gmail.com. That's N-A-T-E-W-O-E-L-F-E-L at gmail.com. So this show, this episode was one that has been rattling around my brain long before the podcast was actually a thing. I knew for a long time that if this was a medium I was going to pursue, that I wanted a podcast that featured a game warden as a guest. And there are lots of reasons for that. For starters, I just, I I find that career choice interesting. I genuinely do. I've often wondered how those who choose the outdoors as a career path in any way find balance between their love for the outdoors and the fact that the thing they love is also what they do in terms of employment. So I've often wondered about that. The other thing is I get the sense, and maybe it's just me, but my gut tells me it's not, but I get the sense that wardens are just very misunderstood. Their role, their goals, their motives are just not totally grasped by all people who enjoy the outdoors. And while you'll never please everyone, I know that for sure. I think that there's something that can be done, some headway that can be made in terms of the general outdoors person's view or perception of outdoor law enforcement. I think that a lot of these misconceptions, misunderstandings, in some cases, flat out ill feelings, come from the fact that a lot of us probably haven't had a lot of interactions with game wardens. And to an extent, that's a good thing because it means you're not in trouble usually. But the fact is those of us who enjoy the outdoors, there are way more of us than there are conservation wardens. That's just a fact. It's a simple numbers game. The math is on your side that more often than not, you are probably not going to encounter a game warden in the field. You just aren't. I'm 30. I have been hunting since I was 12, joined my dad on hunting trips long before that. I've been fishing as long as I can remember. I can count on one hand the number of interactions I've had with a warden in the field. But as I mentioned, part of that is just the math. And I think that with the lack of interaction and experience with game wardens comes some just misunderstandings, misinformation. And I was hoping a show like this could help clear some of that up. Not that it's my personal mission or I feel it's my personal mission to fix everything that's wrong with the outdoors. But I think that, I think that there just is just oftentimes a lack of, a lack of, I don't want to say compassion. That's probably a harsh word, but a lack of understanding is the word I'll keep revisiting 
of who wardens are is people by and large. I was taught at a very young age that every warden you encounter loves the outdoors just as much, if not more than you do, that that's why they do it. My family taught me that that's what was instilled in me, but not everyone was taught that way. Not everyone thinks of that. And there's, there's this weird dynamic that exists in some parts of the outdoors community. And I don't by any means think it's the majority. And that's a good thing. But there is this weird thing that exists. It floats around and shows its head every once in a while that the relationship between outdoors people and conservation wardens is somehow an us versus them type of situation. And I just don't understand that. Largely because of how I was raised and how I was taught, but also because of my experiences I've had with wardens. And I admit there have not been many, but every single one of them I've had have been positive. And it helps that I'm not breaking the law. <laughs> I'm sure that's part of it. But part of it's that the people who decide to undertake this as a profession are a special breed. And you're going you're gonna to hear that here in the, in the interview that we're about to get into. But the mix of science and laws and passion for the outdoors and just the knowledge and passion that have to combine to make the sort of person who's willing to do this job. That is a hard balance to find. But at the end of the day, those are largely the people who are tasked with overseeing the laws, rules, and regulations of the outdoors in our state. And that's a wonderful thing. And I think that with a better understanding and a, and a chance to get a perspective from a game warden, that more people will start to see that. And that's why we have Caitlin Kurnoski on the show. Caitlin is a game warden out of the new London office for the Wisconsin Department of Natural Resources. She's been on the job for a while and truly, truly loves what she does. That's going to become evident very quickly. But she's here today to give us some perspective from her point of view. And I think that that's going to be valuable for all of us, even if we aren't in the faction of people who see our interactions with wardens as an us versus them situation. The other day on a Facebook page I'm a part of that posts fishing reports for Lake Michigan uh, out of a port near here, someone posted something that just puzzled me. And overall, I know Facebook can be a place that on occasion is quite divisive, but this group that I've been a part of for a couple years now is generally such a positive place. And someone posted into the group and said, Hey, heads up. Just so you know, there's a warden out here checking licenses. And while that statement in and of itself is not malicious, it puzzled me. Because in my very positive experience with this group, I have found a lot of like-minded people who generally value the outdoors the way I do. And it seems strange to me that someone who is largely in a group that, or was in a group that largely thinks as I do, felt the need to give a warning about something like that. Because my initial reaction to that was good. I'm glad. That warden's time 
is divided into so many different tasks and responsibilities. And I am happy that this person is spending time enforcing the rules, laws, and regulations on a body of water that I hold dear. I'm grateful for that. There are a lot of ways that warden could have chosen to spend their time. And they were doing something that helps personally impact something that is a positive part of my life. I viewed it as a good thing. And I just could not understand why anyone would feel the need to have to warn other people about the presence of a warden. To be honest, not that I am perfect, but I'd like to think I follow the law on every single trip. I prepare for every hunting or fishing outing as though I'm going to be checked by a warden. And I just couldn't understand. It was interesting seeing the comments and the mixed bag of the comments on that post. A lot of people like me who were just grateful for the warden's efforts. But a lot of people who, who were thanking that other person for the heads up as though they intended to break a law today. And now they're either going to be sneakier about it or they're just going to not go do it at all. That really turns me off. I'm not a fan of that. I'm just not a fan of that way of thinking and that us versus them mentality I've mentioned several times now. I don't get it. We all want the same things. Because because at the end of the day, wardens are people who enjoy the outdoors too and simply want to see it preserved and protected and enjoyed by this generation and future generations. That's it. And last I checked, that falls right in line with what most ethical and responsible outdoors people want. So that's just the latest example of why it was very important to me to make this episode. And I want to sincerely thank the Wisconsin Department of Natural Resources for helping coordinate this. And I want to thank you for listening because you're going to learn some stuff here and hopefully have a new perspective or just even an updated perspective on the thought processes, the thinking, the, the role of game wardens in the Wisconsin outdoors. So without further ado, let's hop right to our chat. All right, everyone. I think it is time to bring on our guest for today's show. Um, I, I'm super excited for this episode and hope that you will all take a lot from the conversation we're about to have. But I have Warden Caitlin Kurnoski with me from the Wisconsin Department of Natural Resources. And we're about to do just a little bit of a deep dive into uh, what a day in the life of a warden's like and a little bit of background and a fresh perspective that maybe not a lot of us have had. So first of all, Caitlin, thank you very much for joining me today. Yeah, thank you very much for the invite. I'm looking forward to uh, speaking with you and and uh, all the listeners on the show as well. So to start you off, a non-work question for you. Um, which outdoor activities do you enjoy when you have free time and you're enjoying time in the outdoors? What do you partake in? Yeah, so I spend, I would say, probably a significant time outside. And um, I do quite a bit of quite a bit of hunting, fishing, and trapping when I'm not working. So I always, I always joke around, I'm either working or you'll find me in the woods somewhere having fun. Uh, my main passion and my main hobby is uh, bird hunting. Um, I have a golden retriever. Uh, she'll be four in October. So we spend a lot of time chasing, chasing birds. Um, I do quite a bit of bird hunting in Wisconsin for mostly woodcock and rough grouse, uh, a little bit of pheasant hunting as well. And I also like to spend um, spend my time 
taken one or two trips out west for for bird hunting as well, pheasants, quail. Um, I've hunted for sage grouse as well. So that's my main passion. Um, during the summer, you'll find me fishing quite a bit. Um, I also run a set line for catfish and flathead flathead catfish on the Wolf River and um, also do a little bit of trapping here and there as well. So I, I spend quite a bit of time uh, outdoors and, and really enjoy it. So I understand that the answers to this may vary, but it's a question I ask all of my guests, who got you into all that stuff? Because more often than not, it's a person. But in your case, who or what got you into the outdoors to begin with? Yeah, so when I was younger, um, I grew up doing a lot of fishing. Um, I did a lot of fishing with my family, both my mom and my dad. And so I kind of got a really, really strong interest in it when I was younger. Um, It started with fishing and then... um, I did a little bit of deer hunting, mostly just tagging along with family um, out in the woods and uh, really, really enjoyed that and kind of got into bird hunting a little bit later in life. Um, I started bird hunting about five or six years ago and um, really got an interest in that through through friends and ended up getting my own bird dog and and uh, the passion just grew from there, and and now I would say probably call the call it call it an obsession, um, the bird hunting portion. But family and friends both got me involved in in the outdoors and and hunting and fishing. When and how did you decide that you wanted to make a career out of the outdoors? And when did you decide on this path? Because um, I think a lot of people who spend time in the outdoors had similar experiences with how they got into it, but very few of them choose the path that you chose to make a career out of it. When did it hit you that this was something you wanted to do? And when did you make that decision to start pursuing this type of career path? Yeah. So I would say I probably took a little bit different path than, um, than most. Um, I think you speak with a lot of game wardens and, and a lot of them have some pretty unique or cool stories where they were checked when they were younger hunting with, with family members. And that was, you know, since the age of eight, nine or 10, it really hit them that that's when they wanted to be a warden. Um, my path was a little bit different. Um, growing up, I was never, never checked by a warden or anything like that. Um, but growing up, I always knew I wanted to work in law enforcement and be a law enforcement officer. And, and since I was, I don't know, probably 12 years old, knew that's what I wanted to do. And, um, so I went to school for that and, um, and I found out a little bit later in my college career, um, that I wanted to be a game warden. Um, I went to school over in, uh, in Minnesota at St. Cloud Cloud State and, um, actually went to a law enforcement career fair and met a conservation warden from Minnesota and really got talking with him and learned quite a bit about the job. And, and I'm like, this is right up my alley. I want to be a law enforcement officer. I love being outdoors. Um, I, growing up, I also did a lot of snowmobiling, boating, and I'm like, this is the perfect combination. I love being outdoors. I want to do law enforcement. Um, this is what I want to do. And so fortunately, um, once I figured that out, um, I knew I wanted to come back to back to home, back to Wisconsin. And um, I really looked in to our department here and and uh, I was able to do a ride, some ride alongs and then do an internship with Wisconsin DNR um, out of Portage County. And once I did my internship, it really solidified. This is exactly what I want to do. And I can see myself doing this for a career or the rest of the rest of my working working career. And how long have you been a warden now? 
So I've been a full-time warden since 2012. Um, right after I graduated college, which would have been back in 2010, I got hired um, by the department working um, as a water guard with aquatic invasive species. And where so is I, home? You mentioned wanting to be closer to home. Where is home for you? Yep. So um, home is originally central Wisconsin area, Wassa area. And um, I'm now a, a field warden down in New London, which is Wapaka County. So I'm still somewhat close to home. Definitely. Very familiar with that area. I went to school at UW-Stevens Point, so I've spent a lot of time in and around central Wisconsin. It's really, it is a beautiful area. At least you get to work. I mean, of all, I mean, Wisconsin has a lot of beautiful areas, but you get to work in definitely one of the cooler parts of the state, in my opinion, anyway. Yeah, absolutely. This part of the state has a lot to offer, um, especially if you enjoy being out the, being, the, being in the outdoors, hunting, fishing, boating, kayaking. This part of the state has uh, quite a bit to offer and some beautiful views. I have always wondered this about game wardens, and I, I should ask, and I'm going to ask you because I have the opportunity. It's my impression that most conservation wardens take some interest in the outdoors. Otherwise, this isn't the path of law enforcement most would have taken. But the struggle is that your busiest times are normally probably going to coincide with the times you would also, in a perfect world, like to be outdoors and enjoying hunting, fishing, trapping, snowmobiling, whatever the case may be. How do you try to find a balance between the outdoor part of your job, but also the outdoors that helps you relax and that you want to pursue in your spare time. How do you juggle those two schedules? Because I'd imagine that um, during peak seasons of hunting and fishing and what have you, that can really be a, that can really be a tough kind of line to navigate. Yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely, um, it can be tough, but for me, and I think for a lot of other wardens, if you have a passion for um, hunting, fishing, or doing the things you love, whatever it might be, whether it's it might even be something else that's not outdoor related, I think it's always important that you set aside some time um, for those activities and really take some time to um, relax and take that time for yourself. Um, this job can be, um, you could work at 24 seven. There's, there's so many things going on. The seasons are constantly changing and there's, there's always, always things to do. And, um, it's the thing I found is that you just really have to set down some downtime or, or time to make sure you have things to do or the time to do the things you love. Um, especially in the fall with all the openers, things really get things really get busy and there's there's so many different seasons going on between fishing, hunting and trapping. Um, it's it's pretty time consuming. So it, it definitely is important that you just take those time, that time to set set aside to do the things you love. And and the one thing with this job is um, I always tell folks that are interested in, in the career because probably one of the questions I in the, get quite a bit and probably one of the main questions is, Folks that are interested in becoming a warden, they they always ask, "Hey, I you know I hear you don't really get to hunt and fish anymore because you're always working." And um, the fact of the the fact of the matter is, is you sometimes may not get to hunt like the opener, the opening weekend, like duck opener or gun opener, um, just because it is so busy. But there is definitely time. Um, that you can make to go out and hunt fish and trap and, and do the things you enjoy. Um, and our department is very good with, um, with work-life balance and, and making sure our staff and our wardens take time to really do the things that they love. That's awesome to hear. So 
let's i mean i'm sure depending on time of year it can look very different but let's take fall for example what is a typical day in the fall like let's say you know we're in a time period where you know bull hunting's open duck hunting's open goose hunting's open you know some of the trapping seasons are open um what does a typical day look like for you in terms of what you're responsible for and the types of things you encounter on a on a pretty frequent basis in the fall, um, I always say, well, it could probably be year-round as well, but um, there really is no typical day. Um, every day <laughs> every day is different. You just never know what's going to happen. You know, you may plan to, um, you know, go work bow hunters or go work duck hunters, and, you know, you may get a call that somebody shot a deer off the road, and your day significantly significantly changes and um what you had planned to do completely changes because now you have to focus 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 your efforts towards um that specific complaint so there really is no typical day um but that's probably what keeps this job the most interesting and exciting um I never feel like I get into a into like a rut where it's like oh I gotta go do that again um that is the nice thing about, about fall is there's, there's just so much going on and you can really pick what you want to work and what you want to do. Obviously when we receive complaints, um, that a lot of our schedule or plans can kind of, um, revolve around specific complaints, but, um, you know, in the fall you could be like, Oh, I want to go work duck hunters this morning and work those for the morning. And then maybe you're going to go work, um, a complaint you have in the evening of somebody late shining or or shining and shooting deer. So each day really is different. And I would say there really is no typical day in this job. And and just when you think you're going to have your day all planned out, you may get a call and, and it can, can completely do a 180 and, and you might be doing something you didn't even think you were going to be doing that day. <laughs> and I'm sure the calls obviously dictate part of what a day looks like for you. But when, when you mentioned like this, making the decision of, Hey, on this particular day, I'd really like to work duck hunters, or I'd really like to work. It could be anglers in a certain case or whatever, whatever the situation may be. What goes into making those decisions? How do you decide? How do you decide there? Because as you mentioned earlier, there are so many things going on, especially in that time of year, if we're still using fall as an example, how do you, where do you even begin to make those choices about where you're going to dedicate your time, the non uh, the non-call or non-complaint time? It's pretty area specific. Um, I've been in, I've been the new London warden for, it's been about seven years now. So once you kind of get to know your station, you kind of know where, where you're needed and where to spend and focus your efforts. Um, so that kind of dictates, I just, I just pretty familiar with where, where my station is and kind of where the activity is, especially in the fall. And so that goes a lot into dictating what I might do for the day. Um, you know, here in New London, um, our walleye run, a lot of people know about it in the spring, but we also have a second walleye run in the fall. And so it, I try to spend time on that. I try to spend time on waterfowl, deer. Um, it's just really trying to keep that balance and um, making sure you focus efforts on each and everything and, um, really just kind of knowing what the station needs and, and, you know, if there's complaints just to spend time on those as well. There is the way I see it. There's just so much 
that an average warden, especially in Wisconsin, is responsible for. Um, and, and you're just discussing your, you know, your specific area. Do you ever feel pressure? Is it ever hard for you to be like, man, like there is a lot I could be doing, but I have to choose and decide and make decisions about what I think the best thing I can do, the most productive thing I can do today is. But the fact is like, you're never going to be able to get to everything. You are just one person. Um, do you ever feel there's always going to be more hunters, more anglers, more snowmobilers than there are wardens. Do you feel pressure because of that? Is it hard to is it hard to keep up with everything on a day you get more calls than than maybe normal? What is what does juggling that look like? Does that does that give you a sense of pressure or how do you deal with it? How do you handle it? Yeah, it's, you know, and especially certain times of the year, um fall is always really busy um for me here in my station. Spring is very busy with walleye run, white bass run, sturgeon run. Um, I always joke, um, with, with everybody. I, I always say, I wish there was 10 of me because there's, there's just never, never enough time in the day for one person to really cover it all. And, um, it's, it's always difficult because you want to be able to, you know, you want to be able to focus your time and efforts on every single thing. And it's just, with so much going on, sometimes it's, sometimes it is hard just to focus and, and really, really cover, I guess, each and each and every season or whatever the case might be. And, and, you know, sometimes of the year you may get quite a few complaints and trying to prioritize those and really just take, okay, this one needs to be looked at right now, but this one can wait until tomorrow. Um, So it's, it can be tough just because um, certain times of the year it is so busy and there is so much going on and, and, um, you know, like you said, I'm, I'm one person and, and I have a pretty big, um, administrative area that I cover and it's just, it's so tough to be everywhere at once. Um, you know, even you take the look, the Wolf River, for example, um, I have from New London about down somewhere, the, somewhere around the Wyawega area and just that stretch alone, um, gets hundreds and hundreds of fishermen in the spring and, and there's just no way you can just cover everything all at once. So you just you just have to understand that and and do the best you can. And and the good thing about um, our wardens and our warden teams is um, knowing when to ask for help. If you're busy, there's always other folks that are able to come over and, and lend a hand at certain time, certain busy times of the year. And um, it's always important to to keep that in mind too. That you know you can never just never do everything on your own. You're only one person, but just do the best you can to cover everything and and utilize other wardens when necessary as well to help you out. What is your favorite part of what you do? My favorite part is being outdoors. Um, I really enjoy working with the public and um, knowing that you know, I'm protecting a resource that, you know, generations, um, behind me will be using as well. And, um, just that and working, working with the public and, um, and being outside. That's, I, I truly enjoy that. Um, it's, there's no job like it. Um, there's no job that I can think of where, where you can say, Hey, I'm going to go work in a, in a boat this afternoon. I'm going to go check fishing license. It's, it's, it's pretty, pretty awesome. What is conversely, what's your least favorite part of what you do? 
because every job has drawbacks. No matter how much you love it, there's there's a crummy part. I mean, there's crummy parts of my jobs. You know what I mean? Like, if if you had to pick something, it's like you know, I just wish I wouldn't have to deal with this, or it always bothers me when this happens. But we deal with it because it's it's our job as a warden. What is that thing for you? Yeah, that's a, that's actually a pretty easy question for me. Um, the paperwork <laughs> aspect of it. Um, ah. That yeah, that's probably my least favorite part. Um, anytime I have to sit in front of a computer and um, you know type up emails, type up reports, uh, monthly reports on you know what I did for the month, that's probably my least least favorite. Just because I like to be outside, I like to be active on my field patrol, I like to engage the public, and so the least part, least favorite part for sure, hands down, is is the paperwork and the computer work that goes along <laughs> with the job. <laughs> understandable, understandable. Um, from your point of view, what is something you wish the average, you mentioned that you enjoy dealing with the public and I mean, God bless you because like, it's a big part of your job, but I'm sure it's not always easy, but it's a necessary part of the job and it's an important one. What is something you wish the average member of the public or the hunting or fishing public would know about your line of work? that they often don't know what is something that just it'd be really helpful if someone like me just understood this fact about what you do or how you help or how we can make your life easier anything along those lines what's something you would hope the average hunter or angler would know about you and your job i would say um i would hope most people know that um that they can call whenever they want um i often run into time run into people in the field and, you know, they have just, you know, sometimes basic questions or they're confused about rules and regulations. And, um, and you know, they may ask, you know, when, when they bump into me, they're like, oh, I was hoping to bump into you. And, um, and they kind of just hang on to a question until they run into a warden in the field. And uh, I just, I want people to know that, you know, whenever you have a question, you know, how, no matter how simple or how, how complicated um, it may be, um, wardens are always here to help um, and answer questions. And uh, we really encourage people to call. Um, that's what we're here for. We want to make sure people enjoy their activities outdoors. We want to make sure people do it safely and certainly following the rules. And um, I just, I want folks to know that, you know, you can call anytime. Um, for the most part, I have my phone on um, probably dang near 24-7. And uh, if I don't answer, leave me a message and I'll, and I'll call you back as soon as possible. But that's probably the biggest thing is I just want folks to know that that's what we're here for. We're, we're here to answer questions. We're here to help help folks out and and um, if you do have a question, certainly don't hesitate to give your local warden a call. And and no matter how simple or how complicated it is, if it's complicated, we'll certainly find an answer for you. Um, so never hesitate to call if you're confused or um, on a law or a rule. And that's what we're here for to help to help folks understand and and enjoy their recreational activities. I couldn't imagine the the range of questions you have received in your time and that i mean an average warden receives and you mentioned you do get questions often about about people who are just interested in learning more about what you do and if they were interested in doing it how they could pursue a career path like yours but taking that out of the equation if you had to say more often than not if there's a, a question or a type of question you get more often than maybe some others what are some of the popular questions you get 
because maybe we can just give some answers right now and and, and help a few people out. <laughs> is there is there a theme? Do you see a theme when it comes to like the most popular hunting question you get if you had to pick one or the most popular fishing or, or trapping question you get? Is there a theme there? Um, I would say there's probably not a theme. I think it's really specific to what time of the year it is. Um, it, it always seems that um, the questions change with the seasons. Um, sure. Fall really starts to kick off the hunting-related questions. Um, and, you know, in turn, once it once seasons roll over to winter, we get a lot of questions on snowmobile rules, um, ice fishing, and so there's, it's, it's hard to pin down a specific question on, on, you know, what is probably the most common. It just, it just changes so much depending on the time of the year. That's it's, it's hard to pin down, I guess, a specific one that is probably more so than the others, if that makes sense. Makes total sense. I, I had a hunch that would be the case, but I wanted to offer that up in case it wasn't, but that makes complete sense to me. Um, a follow-up question for you then is given, given the vast amounts of people you deal with and and the different situations that you can find yourself in like you said any given day could take an unexpected turn for you which is exciting but also can be it requires someone that has a very extensive knowledge of a lot of things this is any law enforcement position you know but like especially i think about i think of how many laws and rules and regulations that i try to keep up on just as someone who likes doing the outdoors uh, and wants to do so in a safe and legal way but then i look at someone like you who's in charge of enforcing all of this, how do you keep up with everything with changes that do occur? I mean, sometimes across the board that on any given season, it's possible hunting, fishing, snowmobiling regulations, trapping regulations have all changed in some way, shape or form. Sometimes minor changes, sometimes big ones. How do you do your best to stay up and in the know on all of these things that you could potentially have to deal with in a given day? Yeah, there certainly is. Um, a lot of changes and there certainly is, is as a conservation warden, a lot of different, different things to know. Um, a lot of times, you know, folks think, oh, hunting, fishing and trapping, those are the main things which wardens do. And we do do a lot of that, but then you start to add on um, the environmental rules and regulations, water regulations, air regulations. Um, there really is a lot to know in this, in this career. And, um, I always say you'll never know everything. Um, and, uh, it's, it's always ever changing. And especially nowadays, it seems with the rules and regulations, um, every year they seem to change quite a bit and there's just really a lot to keep up with. Um, and, uh, it's definitely, um, something that you really have to stay sharp on because obviously, you know, the public expects us to know the rules and regulations and have the answers. Um, so it's, it's something that, you know, every year, um, you know, a lot of things stay the same, but you know, there is the things that change from year to year. And the nice thing is, is our department does a really good job at, at, um, sending out different information. And, um, a lot of it falls back to the warden to really put in the time and, and just make sure that we keep up with those, with those law changes. But, it's, it's one thing that, like I always say, you'll, you'll never know everything. Um, you'll never be an expert at everything. But fortunately, um, we work with, you know, a lot of different, especially when you start to look at, like, the environmental, the water regulations and air regulations and some of those um, just really laws that are, are you know, that us as conservation 
conservation wardens don't don't deal with on a daily basis. Um, it's really important. We will, we work with um, some of the different DNR staff that are I call experts in those areas, and um, and just really use our resources and work together with other wardens and and um, and other department staff that are experts in those in those so-called areas. I really think a lot of wardens have um, most have like a niche area where they're, you know, depending on your station, you may work with something way more than a warden in a different part of the state. And say, for example, um, in New London here, I do a lot with set lines and bank poles. And there's some other wardens in the state that have a little bit of it, but maybe not quite as much as our particular area. And um, it's always important to kind of lean on folks that, that have that expertise in that area and really work on things. So I know a lot of us as, as wardens really count on each other to, um, to to help each other out, especially in areas where some folks just deal with it every day, where, you know, maybe in a different area, somebody might deal with it one or two times a year. True, true. And I, I mean, that's where I think it's awesome to hear, too, that you have a support system, though, of, of people who are who are experts on something who are willing to weigh in on that kind of thing, because it's also you mentioned that you'll never know everything. And and I agree though, that it's not reasonable to expect every single warden to know everything about everything. That's just not, I mean, as a human, that's just, that's not a fair expectation to have. I'm going to put you on the spot here. If there was, let's say you are czar of all things, Wisconsin outdoors for a day, and you could change or clarify one law that has anything to do with the outdoors. If it were up to you, what would it be? Is there something that, um, that, either you've encountered in your time hunting and fishing or something that either like you read through and say, you know, the intention of this might've been good, but now it doesn't make a lot of sense or something that a lot of people become confused by this one thing. And if we clarified this, we wouldn't run into so much trouble or anything along those lines. If you had the power to wave a wand and change one thing, what's the thing you would change? (laughs) I'm just trying to think of something off the, off the top of my head. Um, I guess maybe not um, maybe not one specific thing, but um, it's just it's it seems like with all the law changes recently, sometimes they are they are just tough to keep up with. And um, if I could, I guess if I could change something or how we do things, it's just um, if they could just if they're going to change, say, um, hunting laws or boating laws, and just have. Um, change them all at the same time of the year and just have it everything kind of in one simple thing where it's sent out maybe to maybe to the, you know the newscast and it's 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 all say in one place versus you know something maybe in the hunting regulations that changed and maybe something changed with trapping season now it's in the trapping regulations and you know vice versa with boating boating changes um that's probably what i would do is is just have some sort of thing where you could wave a wand and say okay here's everything that changed this you know for this year and it all changed on january 1st and here's the list of everything that changed um (laughs) and it's just all in one place because it seems like um you know just depending you know this may change say in january and then another law may change you know six months later and sometimes just tracking those changes um you know, can, you know, can be difficult just because it's like, oh, okay. You know, somebody from the public may, may say, oh, that I didn't even realize that changed. Um, so that's probably what I would do is just have like, okay, this date, 
is when things change and it's all in a single list here, you know, whether it's boating, fishing, hunting, trapping, all in a, all in this, the same location and, and all at that same time, just for more or less for simplicity purposes, probably. <laughs> yeah. That sounds like that would be awesome. I, and as someone who likes different parts of the outdoors, you know, it would be nice to just be like, Hey, it's January 1st. Here's everything I need to know for the upcoming year. And I can read that one sheet and I'd have it all. I, I totally agree. And I, in that vein, there is so much to keep track of and including for you, what would you say? I have a hunch. I know which direction this would go, but I'm curious to hear from an expert of all the calls you get or the, or the complaints you receive that you end up following up on. What percentage would you say are people who mean well, who maybe just didn't understand the change or just weren't aware versus people who were maliciously and intentionally trying to break a law or didn't care that the like knew better, but didn't choose better. What is the percent of people who mean well versus the percent of people who are actually trying to do so or who were actually fully aware they were doing something wrong? If you had to divvy that up percentage wise. Yeah, it's, it's hard to put a percentage to it. Um, but you know, obviously we run into folks that, um, that, truly just didn't realize something changed or truly, you know, they maybe knew the sport and didn't realize, um, you know, this particular law or whatnot. Um, so we do run into that, uh, you know, I would say um, a fair amount where folks just didn't realize that something changed or, or, you know, like I said, are new to the sport, especially with, with all the stuff related to COVID. Um, I would say that, um, you know, within the past year and a half, I've seen more hunters, more fishermen, more boaters, more people that are really taking up, you know, new sports out, you know, in the outdoors and, um, and are new to it and maybe don't, you know, don't understand some of the rules. Um, so we do bump into it, but we also bump into, you know, quite a few people that just blatantly, you know, don't care and they know the rules but for whatever reason, they just, you know, they don't, they don't want to abide by them or they just, they just don't want to do it for whatever reason. But it's, it's hard to put a percentage on it because, you know, we run into, run into both, I guess. And it just, it just depends. Got it. No, that's fair enough. You brought up an interesting point that we did not talk about in our lead up to this conversations, but I'd love to talk with you about it. COVID has brought a lot of people into the outdoors either for the first time or trying something different they've never tried as a, as a way to, to stay sane, to have fun, to be able to do something new and exciting. What do you think it is that we as people who have, you and I have been involved in the outdoors, even for fun, a lot longer than most of these kind of folks? What do people like you and I have to do to keep those people who are new to it, excited and still doing all of this stuff five years from now? Because my concern is becoming... I'm, I'm going to be as happy as anyone when the world starts going back to or continues to go back to what's closer to normal. But I also want as many people to love the outdoors and, and enjoy the things I enjoy as possible too. What, what can we do? What should we do in order to keep as many of those new folks excited about hunting and fishing, trapping, snowmobiling, whatever it may be? How do we keep them on board in the long run? Because that's going to obviously help the health of these sports we enjoy. And there's lots of benefits to people buying licenses and continuing to do things. Yeah, it, absolutely. And, you know, even prior, prior to the COVID stuff, um, there's, 
you know, it's, it's, you know, you look at all the data and um, hunting and fishing and trapping and um, outdoor sports, uh, you know, the numbers are decreasing and, um, and, you know, with COVID, it's certainly brought, um, you know, a lot of new people into the sport and maybe even folks that, um, you know, hunted and fish it, hunted and fished, you know, 10 years ago and maybe got away from it, um, brought them back to the sport with COVID. Um, I've talked to a lot of folks, um, especially last fall during deer season that maybe took a break from hunting, um, took a few years off and COVID kind of brought them back, you know, it was something to get them out of the house, get them outside. And um, now they're back into the sport. And I think it's important that, you know, us as, as hunters, fishers or trappers um, that we really, um, try to keep these folks engaged in the sport. And, you know, if you have friends or family that are picking it up um, as something new, try to be a mentor to some of these folks. Um, You know, if you have a a family member, take them out fishing or um, take them out hunting if they're, if they're showing that interest. And I think, I think it is very important that, you know, folks that um, have been doing this, you know, for, for a lifetime or even, you know, the last, 10 or 20 years, really just try to keep folks engaged that are new and just be mentors to folks they know. Um, I think that's pretty important. Um, I think I could speak for quite a few hunters, but I think, and fishermen and trappers for that matter, I think when when we've picked it up, I think a lot of people have had some sort of mentor, whether it's a family member or a friend that has got them into the sport and, you know, showed them how this is how you catch a walleye. You know, this is how you bow hunt. This is how you bird hunt. And um, I think that's important. Um, it's a tradition that we've had. And we're pretty fortunate in Wisconsin with, with the resources we have. The, the, it's pretty incredible when you look around the nation. And Wisconsin does have one of the top natural resources. And um, I think if we can keep folks involved and and keep them in the sport. It'll be really, really good for, for all the sports. Yeah, I completely agree. I completely agree. And in the spirit of that, what is some, what are some outdoor opportunities in your neck of the woods? I try to cover as many regions of Wisconsin as possible. And since you are an expert in your region, what, in your opinion, what are some of the more underutilized opportunities that maybe people in your area of the state just kind of overlook that, that could open doors to either new people enjoying the outdoors in some way or people who already out enjoy the outdoors doing so in a different way. What are some of the more underrated uh, aspects of your region that you spend your time in? Yeah, here specifically, you know, in the Wolf River area, Wapaka County, um, we are pretty lucky to have um, a lot of different opportunities and um, probably the most overlooked um, would be our fishing here on the Wolf River. Um, Spring, we get quite a few folks that come out, but our walleye fishery is, you know, one of one of the best in the state. Um, we just have a phenomenal opportunity for walleye fishing here. And same thing in the fall with the walleyes. Um, additionally, white bass fishing, we have that as well. Um, even for folks that maybe are a little bit more interested in um, maybe non-hunting or fishing, 
Um, another kind of very unique thing we have here on the Wolf River is the sturgeon spawning in the spring. And we have folks coming from all over the state just to come in and look at sturgeon spawning in the Wolf River. Um, our kayaking, we have a bunch of different rivers, the Embarrass River, the Little Wolf River, um, Wapaka River, and then, of course, the Main Wolf River. Um, there's plenty of opportunities for folks that are interested in paddle sports and silent sports um, to come over and, you know, spend a half a day just out paddling and, and cruising around and taking in the scenery and birding. Um, it's Those are probably the top top two and and maybe most underlooked or overlooked air or specific areas here that folks can really enjoy. Cool. There's a lot of good stuff there. A lot of good stuff there. And it's just sometimes, sometimes it's just people don't know, you know, and as soon as they find out, they go, Oh, wow, that's something I'd like to try. And that's, I definitely wanted to highlight that because there, you're right. We are extremely lucky here in Wisconsin and there we are, there's just a bounty of opportunity here for all different sorts of outdoor activities. And I think in some cases, it, while it's a good thing, there are so many, there are so many that a lot of people just don't even don't even think through the the possibilities of what they could be doing. And um, you mentioned something at the beginning of the show. I wanted to follow back up with you on that you're you're into trapping, and I this interests me because I have no experience in it at all. And I could be biased here because I don't have the experience in it. But I I get the sense that of hunting, fishing, and trapping. In terms of participation, trapping sometimes feels like it takes third amongst popularity of those three things. Do you get that sense? And if you do, why do you think that is? Is it lack of, is it, if you, assuming you, you also kind of see it that way in terms of like number of people doing it, is it, is it lack of people passing it down? Is it lack of opportunity? Is it lack of knowledge? Is it, because for me, I've hunted my entire life. I wouldn't even know where to start. And it's not that trapping doesn't appeal to me i've just never been given the opportunity to do it <laughs> yeah absolutely I, I i would agree with you i think and when you look at just um sheer numbers of, of folks participating in trapping when you compare it to fishing or hunting it is probably well not probably it is the probably the least least amount of folks that do it and um i i think you're right i think um it's maybe just not getting passed down and, and, um, and just the knowledge, I think, um, kind of goes back to what we were talking about, um, a little earlier in the show, um, having a mentor. Um, I think, I think if it's, if it's some, if it's something that folks are interested in, I think with trapping, it's important to find a mentor or get involved in a trapping, uh, trapping safety class. I know, um, there's one specifically in New London that I go to every year. I, I give our, I always call it the warden talk. It's just like a hunter safety, a boulder safety, where we talk about the rules and regulations. And um, I know the folks that teach that class are, um, you know, always open to helping and answering questions that, that folks have that attend the class, even after the class. Um, so I just, I think that it's just something that it's just not getting passed on, or maybe people just don't have an interest in doing it. Um, you know, in comparison to some of our other more popular sports. And, and like you said, just the knowledge thing with it, um, the trapping regulations are, um, they're pretty technical. And, um, and I can see from like a beginner standpoint where you would open that book and it's like, oh my gosh, this is, this seems really complicated. And 
But when you start actually going out and doing trapping yourself, it's like, okay, well, that makes sense. And when you start doing it, it's like, okay, now this book makes sense because you kind of understand um, when you put two and two together and you actually experience it in person versus just picking up a book and and you know feeling overwhelmed just because there is there is so much technicality to it and and um, unless you kind of put the two and two together it it can be difficult to understand and and that may be part of it too folks open the book and they're like oh okay this is this is kind of kind of complicated but once again that's kind of where we come into is if, if things are complicated or confusing we want folks to call us and we could certainly clarify and and help folks with that as well but as far as opportunity I think there's um, ample opportunity throughout the state, um, the, especially, you know, you look at all the different public land um, throughout the state and having the ability to um, trap on our public lands. There's quite a bit of opportunity for trapping throughout the state. When you trap, what do you trap for? Um, I do kind of a variety. Um, I my, my favorite is water trapping, um, but I do a little bit of dry land trapping as well. But my, my preferred trapping is, is water trapping. Okay, cool. Very cool. Um, I want to circle back on one thing that you mentioned at the beginning. And if I was a better podcast host, I would have circled back to it immediately. But I wanted to make sure we did cover off on some of the awesome stuff we want to talk about. And we've done that. Uh, well, you mentioned, and we've talked a few times about all the stuff you have to know. And, and, and you mentioned a bit about your career path. Once you decided that, you said you decided later in your college career that you wanted to be a conservation warden, what does that specific part of the training process look like? Just to give the average listener here an idea of this is what you had to learn, this is what you were tested on, this is what you were expected to know and be able to do in order to even be considered for the position you're currently in. What did, what did that training process look like? How long does it take? Just some simple things like that that I think a lot of people, even like myself, don't often think about. Yeah, so I... I always tell folks who are interested in the position, um, even before you get before you apply and you go through our training process, is I tell them I tell folks to try to get as much experience um, as they can. Um, try to participate in a sport you've never participated in. So if you have like a family member that duck hunts and you've never duck hunted, um, I always tell people, hey, see, see if you can take along just to kind of get an understanding and try to do those things that you just haven't had a chance to do um, to kind of help prepare yourself for when you apply for the job. Now, specifically, once you get, um, once you go through our hiring process and you get hired, um, the first and foremost training if you haven't attended a law enforcement academy. Um, what DNR does is we actually put you through what we call the 720-hour um, law enforcement academy. So that basically, that academy teaches you everything you need to know about being a law enforcement officer. Um, with that academy, they give some twists and try to um, focus it towards natural resources law enforcement. So when you're, you know, when you're doing different scenarios or different types of training, they really try to gear it, gear it towards things that us as wardens um, would encounter in the field. Um, so that's kind of nice. They put that, put that twist to it. Um, that's kind of builds your foundation for really knowing um, what you can and how you operate um, as a law enforcement. Um, once you complete that, um, 
you go to what we call FTO, so that's field training. So that's where you get your really hands-on, this is how to this is how you become a game warden. And um, what that entails is you basically go to three different field training officers. Um, they last about eight weeks apiece, and um, you just learn the ins and outs. This is how you do the job, and it, it's kind of nice because it, the seasons change, so you get to learn. You know, you may be at an FTO for boating and fishing, and then you go to another field training officer, and you may be there for um, the hunting season, so you get to learn and really learn what a warden does during that time. And then the season changes, and now, okay, now you're learning about what wardens do for ice fishing and snowmobiling. Um, so that's where you really get your hands on. This is how you do the job. You ride along with a full-time field warden who um, really tells you how to do the job and trains you um, to prepare you to go out on your own. And then within that time frame, and even once um, you get stationed to your own field station on your and you're on your own, um, we have what we call specialized training weeks. So this ranges from um, fall hunting week, to boat school, to ATV school, the trapping school. And during those that week time frame, um, there's really an emphasis and a focus on um, that specific schooling. So if you go to boat school, you're basically spending a week learning how to drive a boat, learning all the rules and regulations with, with boating. So between the, the hands-on in the field training with a full-time warden and then those specialized weeks, um, those really... Um, kind of put two and two together and you end up, um, you know, stationed in your own, wherever that field station may be. And then once you're stationed on your own, there's still some more of those, those week-long specialized trainings, but those get a little bit more um, specialized training. So you might have interview training, um, you might have environmental training, um, advanced investigation, investigation training. So, Really, a lot of your first year as a as a conservation warden is just spent training and learning how to do the job. Wow, it's I mean, I, I imagined it wasn't a super simple process, but I mean that that is a lot to take in. <laughs> yeah, there's there's certainly a lot to it, but um, it's it's a the, the training process is it can be long, but it's it's certainly rewarding once you're done, and and um, it it is a it's a great career. Um, I, I can't think of anything else I'd rather do than this. And I certainly can't picture myself being anywhere else other than being, being a game warden. That is so awesome to hear. That's so awesome to hear because also as someone who cares about the outdoors that like the people who are helped or charged with protecting it, that's, that's exactly what I would hope to hear a conservation warden say is that, 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 you know, your heart and it's very clear your heart and your soul is in this. And that's, I mean, to me, that makes any job easier when you really believe in what you're doing and you're super passionate about what you're doing and, and you have both of those things going for you. So before I let you go, if you had to pick, and I'm sure it's hard, do you have a favorite day or a favorite memory of your time on the job? Something that just, you know what, you got done, you got home that night and went, wow, that was either I really made a difference today or this was just a really great day where I really got to do something that was impactful or meant a lot to me. Is there a memory or two that, that sticks out like that? Yeah, for sure. Um, there's quite a few memories that, that stick out and I could probably, probably talk for hours, hours <laughs> on things like that, on things like that. But, um, 
for me specifically, um, my busiest time and probably where I get the most complaints um, in my area is during the spring walleye run. Um, we have a pretty significant issue with overbagging on walleyes. And um, it's, you know, folks, they'll catch their three fish in the morning. They'll come back in the afternoon, change clothes, catch your next three. And then um, in the evening, they'll go to their fishing rafts and they'll they'll catch more um, walleyes. So whenever, you know, whenever we can make those kind of cases, an overbag case where somebody keeps too many walleyes, um, that's, that's probably, that's a pretty big one for me just because we get so many complaints um, on, on folks doing that. And it's really fulfilling when, when you can call somebody back and, and say, Hey, thank you for the information. And this is what happened. And, you know, and, you know, we caught them essentially. Um, But next to that, probably my um, most fulfilling memory and kind of links back to the fish run and and being a river warden is um, a couple springs ago when um, there was an individual, two individuals fish trapping um, on the Shyock River near Shyockton and they were fish trapping for walleyes. And uh, we were able to catch those individuals and um, that was pretty fulfilling because um, with the Wolf River, especially New London and Chiacton, there's kind of a long history of fish trapping and, and walleye poaching. And that was that was one of my favorite memories and where I really felt this is, you know, we, we got these guys and and, you know, fish traps can fill up pretty quick and um, and a lot of walleyes can be taken out at once, um, with, with those, with those individual traps. And that's probably, that would be probably the number one fulfilling memory that I can think of, um, off the top of my head would be that, that fish tramp uh, case a couple, inter- couple springs ago. It's, it's, it's interesting that like with the examples you gave, it just really, it hit struck me, even though it should be pretty obvious, but it just struck me how really your job in a lot of ways is protecting resources that cannot speak for themselves. Those, you know, a wall, you know, you're giving a voice to voiceless things, you know, mother nature has its own way of handling things. Um, in the, in the natural order of the world as the way nature should be, but people interacting with it, we kind of have to, in a, in a perfect world, we understand as humans, our impact on nature and make plans accordingly, bag limits accordingly, harvest limits accordingly but the thing is is that when you do run into those people who unfortunately don't feel the need to do that there's nature can't speak up for itself in that way and people who don't know what's happening can't make that phone call to you so i just can't imagine how fulfilling it must be to get information from someone who truly wants the best for the outdoors and for the community in general and to be able to say you know what based on what you gave us we were able to do something about it and make a positive difference because um unfortunately you know when you have the people in the world who who don't look at it the way you and i try to look at it um sometimes that can have really negative impacts on things that we love and enjoy that a lot of people love and enjoy and i just can't imagine what it feels like to be able to kind of defend seems such like such an aggressive word but stick up for these precious resources that we all love so much yeah absolutely i i agree a hundred percent and um like I said before, it's, you know, it's, it's always nice when, when you can call somebody back and, and, 
say, hey, we got them. And uh, it's just, there's there's no greater feeling than that, you know, when somebody's having deer shot out of their field at night with a spotlight and, um, you know, somebody's, you know, for example, somebody really puts in the time to um, say they're hunting a big buck and they're really putting the time into it. And then you get some person that's driving along and, you know, at midnight decides, oh, there's a really big buck and, and you know, shines and shoots the darn thing. And, and uh, you know, that the unfortunate part about that, it, it's always good to catch them. And, and it's great to be able to call and, and tell that person that we got them. But, you know, it's, it's, it's still, it's unfortunate because it, you know, somebody takes um, an opportunity away from a person that's trying, you know, doing everything legally and trying to follow the rules. And, um, and so that's always the unfortunate, unfortunate part about it that comes along with it. But, um, it, it sure is nice when when um, that person is caught and held responsible for the actions and not and not following the rules. One final thing before I let you go, and I've probably told you that twice now, but I just I you've been such <laughs> a great resource, and I'm just so grateful with the time you've been willing to take and the information you've been willing to share. You know, an unfortunate part of your job, but a necessary part of it is dealing with people like you just mentioned who just simply don't follow the law. How you see a lot of the cases you deal with are the worst in hunters, the worst in fishermen. How do you still try to maintain a positive outlook on people in general when you, when you unfortunately have to deal with so many people, even if they are not the majority of people, you still have to deal with a lot of people who just don't care about taking opportunities away from, from people who are trying to legally pursue animals or who just want to have a few walleye they legally caught for dinner or whatever the case might be. How do you deal with the negativity that's part of your job, but then still stay positive about all the awesome people you get to deal with and the people who mean well and the people who look to you for help? How do you balance that? Yeah, we, you know, we obviously run into that, run into that quite a bit. And, um, you know, I think the thing that, that, um, I guess helps me deal with it with, uh, you know, negativity or maybe somebody that just doesn't care or doesn't care about rules or regulations and is just going to do what do essentially what they want. And, and I think the thing that as far as my end, that really keeps kind of my spirits up and keeps me going is the support from the public. And, um, just really having that support from the hunting and fishing community, um, that, you know, they're happy when they hear that, you know, somebody got, somebody got caught because they were doing something that they weren't supposed to be doing and just blatantly had no, no care for the rules. And, um, so there can be a lot of negativity that goes along with that. And, um, and it can be, you know, sometimes, um, you know, you just, you think about all the things that happen and, you know, that's just the stuff we know about. And, you know, there's a lot, obviously a lot more happening that, you know, we don't hear about. And you think about that sometimes and it's like, okay, I, you know, I only caught this person for the day, but I still have this other person that's doing the, you know, doing the exact same thing. And, um, and, just getting the support from from the hunting community and fishing community um, that they're that they're there for us really kind of keeps me going even when especially in times of the year when there's so much going on and there's so many things that you can work and you're getting kind of pulled every which direction and you're getting a call about this person overbagging here and then on a different per- part of the river they're overbagging mm. here and you know this person over here is shooting turkeys off the road and you're just trying to really um, 
address each each and every one of those. But you know, obviously, each each one takes takes some time, and having that support just kind of keeps keeps me going and keeps me passionate about about protecting the resources. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, Caitlin, thank you very much for your time. I am, again, very grateful for all of this. I know our listeners are as well. Thank you so much for being willing to share and and to answer the questions and and just have a great conversation, provide some perspective that a lot of people just don't have. And I think that alone is just going to be a super helpful thing for myself as well as, as my listeners. It's just, it's nice to hear from someone. Not a lot of us get to run into game wardens frequently for better or for worse. That's just the nature of it. Again, you're only one person. Oftentimes in a county situation, there is only one person. And it's just nice to be able to sit down with someone like you who super passionate about what you do, super knowledgeable, and, and being willing to, to give us a glimpse into what life from your side of things looks like. Because at the end of the day, and I think it's important people remember this, most ethical anglers and hunters have the exact same goals as most conservation wardens. Those We are on the same team. We want the same things. And I, I think just you being able to share your story really helps communicate that to people. So thank you so much for taking the time to do that. Yeah, no problem. I appreciate you having me on the show. And um, and like I said to the viewers if or listeners, if anybody has questions, don't, don't ever hesitate to reach out. And um, us as conservation wardens, um, you know, we couldn't do this job without the support we get from, from folks. And, um, you know, there's, there's only one of us and, um, and without the help of, of the public, um, there's no way we could be successful in doing our job. And I just appreciate everybody and, and, um, and everybody that took the time to listen, listen to the show as well. So thank you. No problem. And th- yes, again, thank you for your time, Caitlin. And folks, just so you know, if you're listening to this, I'll make sure that we get some contact info about how in the show description and, um, and in the uh, website post when this goes live, that if you want to contact your local game warden, how you are going to be able to do that, um, we'll make sure that that's something um, that you are able to do as well. But Caitlin, thank you again for the time. And um, maybe we'll have you on the show again someday. We can talk upland bird hunting, or maybe you can give me a crash course on trapping because... Um, I don't have anyone else in my life to walk me through that, but I think that I think that um, we'd love to have you on again sometime if you're willing to do it. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to come back. So there it is, my chat with Caitlin Kurnoski, who is. For those of you who did not pick it up in the last hour of the interview, a game warden with the Wisconsin Department of Natural Resources. And I want to once again thank Caitlin for her time. She was a wonderful guest and answered all the questions. The editing to this episode was minimal. She she literally answered every question I had for her, did not turn down a single thing. And I'm appreciative of that. I learned a bunch, as I often do from our guests. And it was just awesome to get that perspective. She brought up a couple things I want to circle back on. The first one is that if you have a question, an outdoors-related question that involves your safety, the betterment of your knowledge, rules, laws, regulations, what have you, ask a warden. Simply ask. Don't be afraid to do that. We have people like Caitlin who are wonderful resources who are more than willing to answer questions for you. And that her viewpoint on all of that is very representative of the experiences I have had with game wardens in my area. I 
I've had so many questions answered by game wardens throughout the year. Some of them seemed trivial and silly, but I just needed to know. I wanted to know. And I have always received, first of all, I've always received an answer anytime I have reached out to a warden. Secondly, it's always a professional, thorough, and thoughtful response. You will not be belittled. You will not be talked down to. You will simply be informed. So if you're hanging on to something you've just always wondered, ask. It's very easy. Just simply go to the Department of Natural Resources website. You can get into contact with a game warden in your area. And if they don't have the answer, they will point you in the right direction. Get answers to your outdoor questions. You'll be better off for it. You really, really will. So I thought that was an important point. I want to make sure I hammered that home. Another thing that Caitlin brought up is how lucky we are here in Wisconsin. And she's exactly right. We are spoiled by the natural resources available to us. From the waters to the hardwoods, to the marshes and the wetlands. And we have a little bit of everything here in Wisconsin. And we are very, very lucky for the opportunities that the land and the water afford us here in our state. But with that comes some responsibility. And to me, this is partially where game wardens come in and why they're important. I mentioned it in, during my chat with Caitlin that in a lot of ways, game wardens are giving voices to things that cannot speak for themselves. People can hash things out between each other, between one another, more often than not. I think sometimes we forget that. I think sometimes I forget that. We as humans are capable of solving a lot of our own problems without involving other people. But walleye can't speak for themselves. The water can't speak for itself. Deer can't speak for themselves. And while it's a sad reality, sometimes they need to be spoken for and defended. Because even though the vast majority of outdoors people are ethical, responsible, and caring, I would be lying to you if I said that all of us were that way. Now, I would also say that you are not a true outdoors person if you don't have your own code of ethics and don't take responsibility for your actions and aren't respectful of your resources. But there are people who claim to be outdoors people who do not respect the resources one bit. Bears can't speak up and say they're being poached. Wetlands can't speak up and say they're being polluted. The woods can't say something and bring to our attention that there's timber being illegally harvested. That's where game wardens come in. And I don't mean to paint a picture as though game wardens are the only ones who can be responsible for that. That's not accurate. As Caitlin even mentioned, it, it takes a joint effort between the, the eyes of the public as well as outdoor law enforcement. It is a team effort. And again, we are on the same team. But that's where it takes these special people who are willing to dedicate their time and energy to help protect these resources for all of us to enjoy. But sometimes that's just missed. And I'm hoping this episode went a long way and just 
educating those who listen to it about the point of view of a conservation warden from one of the wardens in our very state. I'd love to say that we could police each other. I'd love to say that at some point, maybe in the future, we can get to a position where the power and influence of the overwhelmingly good people in the outdoors, and there are many of them, was so strong that people who abuse our resources would simply self-select themselves out of the pool and just wouldn't do some of the terrible things that they do. But the fact of the matter is that that's not where we're at right now. In fact, we're nowhere close. And I want to reiterate, I think most people involved in the outdoors are good people. But it takes people like game wardens to make sure that the, the fraction of those who don't respect the outdoors, no matter how small that fraction is, doesn't ruin it for everyone else. And I think that that is one of the many reasons it's important to make sure that an us versus them mentality does not exist between those of us who enjoy the outdoors and those of us who are tasked to protect it. It doesn't make sense to look at it that way. And I hope this awesome conversation with Caitlin will keep you firmly in the camp of not viewing it that way. So once again, I want to thank Caitlin for her time. I want to thank you for listening. Just a reminder before I let you all go, check out NathanWolfelOutdoors.com frequently for content updates. Follow on Facebook at NathanWolfelOutdoors. Check out Instagram at ndubs41, that's at ndubs41 on Instagram to keep up with my outdoor adventures. Questions, comments, concerns, feedback, I am all ears. Reach out via email at natewolfel at gmail.com. That's N-A-T-E-W-O-E-L-F-E-L at gmail.com. And I hope you get some time to enjoy the outdoors between now and the next time we talk and reflect on how lucky we are to have people who are willing to help protect the resources we all care for so much. So I hope you get some time outside and we'll talk again real soon.